Tuesday, October 15th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, Jared Smola. And we have six weeks of the NFL season behind us now, Jared. That means our third bi-weekly buy-sell hold report of the season will hit DraftSharks.com on Wednesday morning. We will hit on some of the potential buy-or-sell candidates today on the show. Of course, Everyone has waiver runs coming over the next couple of days. If you're a DS Insider, you already got our quick hit Sunday night recommendations on that front. You have already seen our Monday free agent focus articles covering every position. We will also talk some waiver candidates on this show. Jared, let's start, though, with a guy that we've been talking about for most of this calendar year at this point. Because Kyler Murray threw for 340 yards, three touchdowns, ran for 32 more yards against Atlanta, finished QB3 for the week. He That followed a top seven finish in week five against the Bengals that was boosted by a big rushing day. So is it time now off of those two outings to sell Kyler Murray or just kick back and enjoy? Oh, kick back and enjoy this. I mean, don't tell my wife, but I'm, I'm starting to fall in love with this guy. He, he is so fun to watch. He, I mean, we know about the rushing ability. He's accurate. His His pocket presence and mobility is just incredible for a rookie so you know, I, I love what I've seen he, he got off to a bit of a rocky start you know those first couple of weeks not surprising for a rookie quarterback but um, you know these past two weeks now he's finished fifth and eighth among quarterbacks in PFF's passing grades um, you know we, we talked about his abnormally low touchdown rate heading into this past week he threw the three touchdowns against Atlanta he's still just a 2.9 percent touchdown rate so you know there's still I think more positive touchdown regression coming like you said, that he had the big rushing day against the Bengals. It wasn't quite as big this past week, but he's averaging 55 rushing yards now over the last four weeks. I think, you know, we can count on something around there, you know, maybe not quite that much, but, you know, 40 or so rushing yards per game, which obviously helps. And then you look at the remaining schedule. Murray has two two games left against the Niners. I think you're going to want to try to sit him in those games. But if you look at the rest of the schedule, I think you can pretty much roll with him as your starter in every game besides those two Niners matchups. And he's sitting around QB 7 or 8 in season-long rankings. I don't think that's above what he's going to do the rest of the way. So I certainly don't think that he's overvalued on that front. And I mean, in mostly, I, I hesitate to say most leagues because there's so much variation from league to league. But generally, you're not getting top value in trade for quarterbacks. I, I mean, there are so many different quarterbacks scoring at various points at, at this stage of the year, I'm not sure how much you're going to get for Kyler Murray if you try to trade him. So, I mean, if somebody's coming after him hard and wants him and you can get a good deal that still leaves you okay at quarterback and also helps you somewhere else, then sure, I'd be willing to look. But I'm not heading out this week trying to sell off Kyler Murray thinking that he's about to crash. It's possible considering, you know, how late Murray went and some of these other late quarterbacks. I mean, you could have Carson Wentz and Kyler Murray. You could have Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray. So in that case, I would definitely be looking to sell one of those quarterbacks. I'm not sure I'd sell Kyler. You know, I'm, I might sell Carson Wentz, you know, just depending on, um, you know, what kind of return you can get for both of those guys. Yeah. And I mean, if you can, like, if you're looking at a trade that has Kyler Murray going to the other team, helping you at running back, and you're getting back somebody like Carson Wentz, who maybe hasn't balled out over the past couple of weeks, like, we might have hoped. I think that's a solid move, but uh, yeah, I think the general message here is Kyler Murray is not 
on a bubble that's about to burst. He is a quarterback that we expected to win both passing and running, and he still has some upside to go on the passing side. Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised if he doesn't score as a top eight quarterback the rest of the way. Kirk Cousins, on the other hand, is he sitting on a bubble? We're coming off two straight big passing days for the Vikings now. Uh, they he threw he topped 300 yards against both the Giants in Week Five and then the Eagles in Week Six. Threw for multiple touchdowns in each of those games. So, is this a bubble that's about to burst? And how do we treat this offense going forward? Yeah, I'd be trying to sell the Vikings passing game at least Kirk Cousins and Stephon Diggs. You know, Adam Thielen has been steady despite the low volume. So I think he's okay as a whole. He's definitely tradable if someone still views him as a wide receiver one. All these guys cashed in on that Eagles matchup, which I thought it was just the best possible spot for the Vikings passing game because the Eagles play so tough against the run. They're so bad against the pass. They did, you know, score enough in that game to keep Minnesota throwing. Let's remember too, though, that, you know, Minnesota had positive matchups before that against Atlanta in week one. Oakland in week three, the Giants in week five. Cousins only turned in a good game in that Giants game. You know, he disappointed against the Falcons and the Raiders. Diggs disappointed disappointed in all three of those games. You know, I think he was below 50 yards and without a touchdown in all three. So I, I think that this is the perfect time to, to sell high on Diggs especially. And then Cousins, I mean, if you can get anything for him, I'd be selling. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that there's really a, a seller's market for Kirk Cousins, but I would even, if he's on waivers and you're wondering whether to drop, I don't know, if you're wondering whether to swap out Baker Mayfield for him, for example, I, that's not a move I would make, you know, barring needing somebody for week seven. But right. I mean, the trip to Detroit this week is one of those that it could wind up fine, but it's also, it hasn't been a favorable spot. I mean, Patrick Mahomes didn't throw a touchdown pass there a couple weeks ago. Phillip Rivers didn't throw a touchdown pass there back in week two. Those are the only two home games that Detroit's had so far. And the Lions have forced uh, multiple takeaways in four straight games. Now, 12th overall in defensive DVOA on Football Outsiders. Heading into last night's game hasn't been updated as of this moment for the Monday night game. So if Cousins is out there on waivers and you can stash him for a week eight game against Washington, I think that's fine. But I wouldn't go out of my way for him, even for that purpose. And I agree, trying to sell hard on Diggs right now, who has had the three games of seven targets, but hasn't gotten beyond that and certainly has not been consistent. Uh, Thielen selling, like you said, I, I I would sell him as well, not quite as hard as I would sell Diggs right now, because I think Thielen's a better bet for weekly targets going forward. Yeah, Thielen's sitting on a 25% target share through six weeks. Diggs is up to 22%, but you know that that's after the big, big game against the Eagles last week. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Kirk Cousins doesn't even sit inside our top 15 quarterbacks for this week. We'll see where he comes in in that Washington matchup. It would still scare me just because you know, like we saw in those games against the Falcons and, and Raiders. You know, I I don't think Cousins is going to have to throw it very much. So if if you're playing him in that game, you're basically hoping for him to put up numbers in the first half because I don't think he's going to do much in the second. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I still don't think we're going to see anything else as extreme as that Atlanta game in Week <laughs> One. If I, if I own a Vikings wideout, I'm still angry at the coaches over that one where they threw ten passes. <laughs> yeah, the Jets' offense broke out with Sam Darnold back in the lineup. So, what are we doing with him? Them? How many Jets are you buying this week? I mean, Darnold's the real deal. I mean, he he looked really good down the stretch as a rookie last year as a, as a you know super young rookie 21 years old and then I'm basically throwing out that week one game 
against the Bills. Tough matchup. You know, Darnold, I, I think, was dealing with the mono already at that point, but comes back against the Cowboys, plays an awesome game. So I, I think he's going to sort of lift this entire offense with him. So I think Robbie Anderson, Jamison Crowder are close to weekly starters now. I mean, I say that, but I think they're both outside the top like 40 in our week seven rankings just because of the matchup against the Patriots. I mean, I think this matchup against the Patriots, it might be a good idea to to hold off on trying to acquire these guys and assume they're going to struggle this weekend and then maybe try to go out next week and buy them because the the schedule after the Patriots, the the, the Jets are basically going to get the schedule that the Patriots have played for, you know, these first six weeks of the season where it's just, you know, Washington, Miami. I think the Jets are going to be a strong offense, really, over the second half of the season. Yeah, Darnold's got the bonus, too, of having the hair of, like, a Disney teen show star. <laughs> yeah, We got the optimal performance, I think, from him in his return game, showing that that offense has life. And now we get a, a matchup where you're going to want to try to avoid them. So I think in order here, Le'Veon Bell got a disappointing number of opportunities against the Cowboys, just 15 total. We've been talking up his workload to that point. I think that extends his buy window. I mean, we were expecting a big game from him with the offense coming back to life. Didn't get it, but basically because of touches. So I think that's going to rebound. I think we have more of a chance to buy him now. Jameson Crowder in two games with Sam Darnold so far has seen 35.6% of the team's targets, 17 back in week one, nine in week six. I think the short range game for Jamison Crowder could even add a little bit of, you know, like matchup proofness to him. Mm-hmm. Or even if they have a, even if they have a tough matchup, even if they face a, a tough defense, I mean, he could have another day like he had in week one where he catches 10 passes for like 65 yards and that'll help us in PPR. So I think Crowder's a pretty safe PPR bet going forward. I would take him over Robbie Anderson. I did see somebody asking on Twitter today, if Robbie Anderson's available, where do you put him on the waiver target list? I wouldn't have considered him before because I think that people should have been stashing him waiting for Sam Darnold to return. But I mean, Robbie Anderson's an easy pickup this week for a large percentage of your free agency budget if he's out there. If we're weighing Anderson versus Crowder on, on the waiver wire, I would take Crowder first in PPR. But otherwise, I'm taking Robbie Anderson because I think his downfield game adds weekly upside, even if he's going to be a little bit more volatile on the target front, most likely. Yeah, it, it's close in PPR. I would bet on Crowder finishing the season with with more catches. But like you said, Anderson's going to do more of the downfield stuff. He's probably a better touchdown bet. Anderson had that big finish over those final four games with Darnold last season. So now if you look at Anderson's last six games with Darnold, he's averaging nine targets per game, 5.2 catches, 81 yards, uh, 0.7 touchdowns per game. So I, yeah, again, I think Crowder and Anderson are, are both going to be weekly starters, at least beyond this Patriots matchup this week. Yeah, they're pretty even for me. I think in PPR, I would expect that Crowder is going to be more consistent. And that's going to be, even if Anderson ends up with more points, I think Crowder is going to help you on that front week to week going forward. I think even Demarius Thomas is a low end buy at this point. I mean, it looks like he should be Quincy Inunue going forward. And we'll see exactly what that means in the offense. But at the very least, it could mean spots where he gets enough volume to be helpful and you mentioned the upcoming schedule. You know, I, I would try not to use Jets offensive players this week against the Patriots. There's an okay matchup with Jacks at Jacksonville next week. But then from week nine on, they've got the Dolphins, the Giants, Washington, the Raiders, the Bengals, the Dolphins again, the Ravens. The next tough spot might be in week 16 at home against the Steelers. And I mean, we'll see at that point. That might not even that might even be a matchup where we're fine using Jets by the time we get there. Yeah, it's 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 the best schedule in fantasy football from week nine to 15. Yeah, 
I think we'll talk about one more Jet in a few minutes, but let's move on now to the Packers' backfield because that's an annoying thing coming out of an annoying Monday night game. Jamal Williams saw, played slightly more snaps than Aaron Jones against the Lions. He beat him 14-11 to 11 in carries. What do, what do we do? What do we expect from Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams going forward? That, that one game of Aaron Jones as the feature back was, was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't even blame Green Bay for going away from him last night, though, because, I mean, Jones was horrible last night. Yeah. As good as he played against the Cowboys, he was that bad against the Lions with the fumble, with the wide-open drop pass on what should have been like a 40-yard touchdown. Now, it, it was it was Aaron Jones leading the way before those miscues. Um, it was five touches for Jones to two for Williams before the fumble. It was six to three before that drop pass. So it's definitely going to be a committee. It was trending that way even, you know, before Williams left that week four game with a concussion. I'm still hoping, you know, for something like 65, 35, or at least 60, 40 in favor of Jones. I still fully believe Jones is the better player. You know, this is still, it's not an elite offense, but it's still a good offense. I think they, they're pretty committed to their runs. I think there's enough to go around where, you know, Jones is still a weekly starter. He's an RB2. He's not an RB1 with this workload. And then Williams is, you know, should definitely be owned in all leagues, I think, because he, he could have running back three, flex value, and then if anything happens to Jones, Williams becomes, you know, a borderline RB1. I've been surprised to see the low owned rates on Williams this week. I think he should be in a roster, on a roster in any league of 12 teams or more for sure, and probably in most leagues of 10 teams or more. Yeah. Monday night was frustrating. I don't know that anything really changed, though. I think we were probably lying to ourselves a bit about Aaron Jones. I think every time we get a big Aaron Jones game, we're like, all right, it's going to be his backfield now. But it, it's just not. I think it's going to be more like a Tampa Bay backfield where they go with the hot hand, which is, you know, it may, as frustrating as it is for fantasy owners, it makes sense for the Packers. If Aaron Jones is having a crappy game and Jamal Williams is having a good game, why would you not give Jamal Williams the ball more? Overall, though, I mean, they've shared four games now. Aaron Jones has led in carries in two of them. Jamal Williams has led in carries in two of them. So I, I think they're going to share to that degree. I still think Aaron Jones is a better player. I still think he'll have good games. So it's going to frustrate you at times, but I think it's basically what we expected from a few weeks ago with Jamal Williams getting more work than we would like. But there being enough for both of those guys, as you said, to produce okay fantasy numbers. Yep, exactly. Uh, The Patriots backfield was another one that people were complaining about following Thursday night. (laughs) Tony Michelle in particular. And it's everybody kind of threw their hands up saying, what do we do with the Patriots backfield? But I feel like this one has been a bit overblown. The problem, of course, is that New England ran for three touchdowns in that win over the Giants, and none of them were by Michelle. One by Brandon Bolden, two by Tom Brady. But for Michelle, we had a season high in total snaps played at 41, a season high in snap share at 50%. That was up slightly from the week before. And then he he played 44 to 49% in three of the four games before that Giants game. And Michelle was on the field for both of Tom Brady's touchdown sneaks. So it's not like they were taking him out at the goal line now. I mean, he was there. They just snuck it because they were three inches from the end zone with Tom Brady. Michelle's seen 15 plus carries in five of his six games. He has seen three targets in each of his past two. If anything, right now is like an encouraging time, I think, for Sony Michelle as opposed to discouraging. Yeah, that passing game usage is has been nice to see. And Michelle, over the last two weeks now, he, he ran 21 pass routes in week five. He ran 12 pass routes in week six. That's after 
totaling 16 routes over the first four weeks. So this is definitely by design. I, I don't know why it's happening now versus, you know, week one or at any point last year. I don't know why the Patriots all of a sudden decided to start using Michelle some in the passing game. But I, again, I do think it's by design. I do think it's going to continue. Um, you know, we can count on, you know, at least maybe one to two catches from Michelle going forward now, which definitely helps. The Patriots st- still, too, have the fourth easiest remaining running back schedule. You know, it's been cake so far, but their schedule is still nice for Michelle the rest of the way. You look at their their, their opponents, I think week 11 against that Eagles run defense is really the only scary matchup. And Michelle gets the Chiefs in week 14 and the Bengals in week 15. And, you know, we've seen these past couple of years now, too. The Patriots tend to lean on the run more and more as the season goes on. So I think Michelle could be a guy who, you know, gets you two fantasy championships with big games in week 14 and 15. Yeah, I spent the past couple of weeks trying to sell him before we got some garbage games. And, you know, maybe the targets over the past two weeks are because Rex Burkhead's been hurt. Maybe that changes when Rex Burkhead is, is a full go. But mm-hmm. whoever knows how often Rex Burkhead is actually going to be a full go anyway. <laughs> I mean, and, and when you throw in the way that the Patriots are playing overall, they're going to be favorites every week, and they're going to be heavy favorites plenty of times. It's going to be lots of positive game script for Sonny Michelle. So after trying fairly hard to sell him over a couple of weeks, I think I'm just going to sit on him now until – uh, somebody comes looking for him. Of course, I'll I'll go down with him when he has the uh, knee injury at some point. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, we, we can't be too picky at running back. If you got a guy getting 15 plus carries per game, you just got to sort of be happy with it. Yep. Could be worse. Could be Aaron Jones. <laughs> yeah. Adrian Peterson topped 100 yards against the Dolphins in week six, the first game of the Bill Callahan era in Washington. <laughs> so what does that performance mean, if anything? Uh, I mean, you, you try to, to sell Peterson hard this week if you can get anything for him. The Skins are definitely committed to the run, more committed to the run under Callahan. I just I don't think it's going to matter a lot of games because this is still a bad team that's going to be trailing. I mean, I think Peterson's performance this past week says more about the Dolphins matchup, which we knew was a great one. Now, Peterson's next three games before a bye week versus the Niners this week at Minnesota, at Buffalo. You know, it's tough to come up with a tougher three-game stretch than that. So I think the game we just saw out of Peterson probably goes down as his best game of the season. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's nice if you used him. It's nice if you mentioned on the podcast last week that you would play him over some other people. But beyond that, it's it's pretty useless because he's not going to get to play Miami again. I can't imagine that there is really a seller's market for Peterson. If you do find somebody who's absolutely desperate, you know, might as well give it a try. But I think this is one we smile at and then move on to the next thing. Yep. Tight ends are the next thing on here. We got Hunter Henry back with a bang. Two touchdowns in that loss to the Steelers. Will Disley out with an Achilles tear. Second straight devastating injury for him to end the season. So, I mean, if you lost Disley or if you've just been treading water at the position, I think the question now is if you haven't had like a clear main man to lean on at tight end to this point, what are you doing right now? I mean, to be honest, you're, you're probably screwed. It's, you know, it's not It's not going to get a whole lot better. You just got to sort of try to find guys that are going to you know score touchdowns, which is obviously tough to project. But one guy I think who's probably not available on waivers anymore, but maybe you could try to trade for him after an ugly week for him and his offense, Gerald Everett with the Rams. Um, you know, he, he still, he finished second on the team with five targets in that Niners game. It was a 21% target share for Everett ran a route on 60% of Goff's dropbacks. That's a, a decent number. And Everett has the easiest remaining tight end strength to schedule. He gets 
Atlanta and Cincinnati these next two weeks before the bye, and then six straight positive matchups according to our adjusted fantasy points allowed before the Niners in week 16. So I think Everett, outside of that bye week, he's going to be in tight end one territory in our rankings, at least until that week 16 game. Yeah. If you did pick up Everett recently and you're thinking coming off the San Francisco game that you just didn't get what you were hoping to get, I would say you're fine. Gerald Everett is at least a top 12 tight end overall going forward. So I don't, I don't think you're going to really improve on that, most likely. Yeah. I think a couple other guys that you can kind of cling to, even if it's uncomfortable, TJ Hawkinson returned from his concussion last night, saw a decent six targets, caught four for 21. It's a fairly uneventful fantasy line for him, but he did have that screen pass that just barely came up short of the end zone. He had mm-hmm. another catch in the end zone that he lost when his elbow hit the ground when he came down. So You know, I feel like we said it two other times this year. We could have easily gotten a two-touchdown game from TJ Hawkinson against the Packers on Monday night. Is he going to be a consistent scorer? Probably not. But he's going to have some big weeks at some point. I think he's going to be a decent target bet going forward. So I think TJ Hawkinson's fine to roll with. Jared Cook, similar, has done just fine in targets with Teddy Bridgewater in there. Not going to be comfortable. Not going to have good weeks all the time, but I would roll with him going forward, especially because we're probably a couple of weeks away from getting Drew Brees back. And then Dawson Knox, I was surprised, is only 3% owned on ESPN right now. We've mentioned him before. He's going to be a low target guy, but you're fishing for low target guys at this point, and he's in a solid spot. And then Chris Herndon, we talked about the Jets before. I think if you can afford to stash him you know, in a bench spot, if you don't need him for the next couple of weeks, he's going to get that same schedule we talked about for the rest of the Jets going forward. Yeah, I like all those guys. Definitely Stash Herndon. Still excited about him. Jared Cook gets the Bears this week. I mean, the Bears are weaker against tight ends than than wide receivers, according to Football Outsider. So, you know, maybe he sees, you know, a bit more work in that game. Then he gets Arizona. He gets that Cardinals matchup in Week 8. And then, you know, if, if Breeze isn't back for that Week 8 game, it seems like he's going to be back following the Week 9 bye. One more guy I'll throw out there, and, and it's, you know, <laughs> a guy who actually might be available now, especially because he's on bye this week. OJ Howard, he gets Seattle in week nine, who is actually dead last in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. Then he gets the Arizona matchup in week 10. So again, if you're you're hurting, I think you know you, you could stash Howard and use him those two weeks. And of course, by, when we get to that point, Cameron Brait might be in play as well. <laughs> sure, yeah. Unfortunately. So we're talking about stashing tight ends. Is it also time in the fantasy schedule to stash available handcuff running backs, even if, you know, I guess not even if, but especially those guys who aren't currently pressed into duty, because when a guy does see the starter go down in front of him, I mean, he's going to be the top bid on waivers and there's going to be this bidding war for him. So does that make it time now to try to stash these guys where you can to jettison maybe any disappointing players any extra quarterbacks that you're hoping are going to turn into something that hasn't happened yet yeah I mean definitely if you can I know you know we're sort of just now hitting the heaviest portion of the bye weeks we have four this week we have a six team bye coming up pretty soon here so I get that it it can be tough depending on the size of your benches but yeah I mean these backup running backs especially the ones in good offenses are the guys you want to have stashed in those you know bench spots where you you don't need those guys to be in your starting lap I I have an I have an FFP 
PC team where I think I have like eight running backs <laughs> on my roster just you know because I, I sort of went zero running back in the draft and I'm struggling at the position so I'm just I'm just sitting on these guys hoping you know one of them comes through for me with an injury yeah we've got the four team by this week then just two teams on by in week eight so it's a good time in particular right now if you don't need a starting option in a particular roster spot for week seven maybe you stash a couple of those guys now just in case something happens in week seven or in week eight then you can always you know make a move if you need the roster spot for week nine on from that one there are four straight weeks of at least four teams on by and week 10 we've got six teams on by so that's where it might be tough but you know if you've got this like dk metcalf springs to my mind He's somebody who will pop up for a touchdown at various points, and you might feel like an idiot if you dump him, and then he has like a 67-yard and a touchdown fantasy day against Baltimore this week, for example. But DK Metcalf is not going to be a predictable fantasy performer. So if he's my fifth or sixth wide receiver right now, and like Alexander Madison's available, I'm going to go ahead and drop Metcalf if somebody else picks him up and lucks out in a week, then you know so be it. But I would rather stash Madison or Chase Edmonds or somebody else along those lines on my roster and see what happens. Yeah, and I mean, you, you can cycle these running backs in and out too. I mean, I would rather just stash one of these guys, even for this upcoming week, rather than stashing some you know scrub wide receiver that you're planning to use in, in week nine. Yeah, and you know, Demarius Thomas, I mentioned earlier that I think he's Uh, he's worth picking up. I would not pick up Demarius Thomas over one of these running backs that we're talking about unless I'm desperate for a wide receiver option. Yep, I agree completely. All right. Uh, Jalen Samuels, by the way, might be somebody worth stashing. I know he's out for his knee operation right now, but at some point he's going to be back within the next few weeks. And James Conner has left three different games with injuries at this point. Yeah, it it was a quad bruise, I think, this past week. So he should be fine following the bye. But yeah, he's had, what, a couple different ankle injuries. So... Um, and, I, and I still don't think Benny Snell is very good. So I, I, I'd i rather sit on Jalen Samuels, even if he's, you know, out another week or two. I absolutely agree with that. Any other running backs you want to throw out before we move on? I mean, there, there's a bunch of them. I mean, some of the maybe lower end guys you might not be thinking of. But I think Ryquel Armstead in Jacksonville. I mean, is Leonard Fournette really going to make it through the year seeing this type of volume? I think it's definitely iffy. So I think Armstead would kind of step in as the lead guy in Jacksonville. Jordan Wilkins is a name I wrote down. Marlon Mack has had trouble staying healthy throughout his NFL career. He's already dealt with a couple injuries this season. And we know the Colts are run heavy offense and it, it would be Wilkins not Naheem Hines as the lead ball carrier if Mac misses time. Wilkins and Daryl Henderson are two guys that I don't think I would bid as much as other people would. If you can stash them in a spot that you have to play with I get it but I do think that Wilkins would split with Naheem Hines. And I, I think Naheem Hines is a better overall player where I, I, mm. I just I just don't I don't think that there's going to be a ton of value to mine there if Marlon Mack does go down. I swear every time Naheem Hines gets a carry he just gets like swallowed up he, he just looks so small as an NFL running back I, I think he's good in the passing game but I think he sort of can't be a lead ball carrier in the NFL so I think it'd be Wilkins leading the main carries Daryl Henderson man a couple of those runs uh-huh. against the Niners like it sort of reminded you why we were excited about him why the Rams were excited about him so if Gurley misses more time I think Henderson's gonna start eating more and more into Malcolm Brown's workload yeah I mean it would be nice to have a spot that you can totally play with to stash him I wouldn't I wouldn't take him over Chase Edmonds or Alexander Madison, but if it is like a total stash spot, then 
that's a fun one to do just just in case things don't get right with Todd Gurley from this point going forward. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I prefer Madison. I prefer Chase Edmonds. I prefer Latavius Murray with Alvin Kamara's you know ankle and knee injury now. Um, even Tony Pollard, I think, is just closer to a real role because he just needs one injury in front of him. Yeah. You add fun factor, though, to Daryl Henderson because you would get him uh, when the person who drafted Henderson in round seven didn't <laughs> hold on and, and get any benefit from him. Yeah, I would I would try and it might not be the best time now because he did flash last week, but I would, I'd try to buy Henderson in Dynasty Leagues right now if you can. On to streaming defenses to close this one out for week seven. My focus is on Detroit. It's really not a great week for finding streaming defenses. You know, if you're Mm -hmm. factoring in both matchups and what's likely available because defenses such as Tennessee have been picked up in lots of places. They're 76% rostered on ESPN right now. So, I mean, if the Titans are available, I think they're an option home for the Chargers this week, home for Tampa Bay in week eight. But otherwise, I like Detroit. This week, they're home for Minnesota. Next week, they're home for the Giants. It is number 12 overall defense in DVOA on Football Outsiders, you know, heading into week six, we'll see what the updated numbers say on that front. The Lions have forced two plus takeaways in four straight games. As I mentioned, there are only two home games to this point. They didn't allow any touchdown passes to Phillip Rivers or Patrick Mahomes. They've allowed some points. They're just middle of the league in scoring, but there really aren't very many good scoring defenses in the league right now. I don't believe that Minnesota is going to go there and explode in the passing game again. You know, we'll mm-hmm. see. It might be fine. But I think it's an upside matchup, both with the Vikings and the Giants the next two weeks. Yep, I think the Lions are fine. Um, I was surprised to see the Packers are available in 60% of ESPN leagues. I mean, it's just a good defense. The Packers are 12th in fantasy points in ESPN scoring. They've done that without a defensive or a special team score, though. They're the only team in the top 14 that doesn't have a touchdown. So they've really been even better than you know their fantasy total would suggest. Packers are 7th in Football Outsiders defensive DVOA. They're top 6 in both sacks and takeaways. They're at home for the Raiders this Sunday. Oakland's actually the 5th worst matchup for defenses, according to our adjusted fantasy points allowed metric. The Raiders have sort of quietly been one of the better offensive lines I think early this season but it's still not uh offense that scares me like I, I think that the floor on the Packers is is pretty high this week yeah I mean it's one of those where you can't say oh it's a great spot against the Raiders right now but it's an upside spot if we reach the end of Sunday and the Raiders scored 16 points and allowed four sacks and threw two picks I don't think either of us would be shocked exactly So if you don't get a two-week solution at defense and you need a streaming defense for week eight, uh, what are you looking at, Jared? The Steelers are, surprisingly, they're only 25% owned. That might already be updated because the fact that they have a bye this week. But regardless, they get the Finns, um, home for the Finns in week eight. So I think, you know, they're, they might be the top ranked defense in our week eight ranking. So they're definitely the priority. I would, I'd be willing to roster two defenses right now you know someone for week seven and then just stash the Steelers for week eight yeah and we you know we talked about picking up handcuff running backs it might be a little early right now to stash extra defenses with weekly matchups in mind but as we get into the second half of the season and you can make it through bye weeks without the extra players it's going to be time to start looking at that as you're planning your roster down the stretch trying to make the playoffs and then advance through them yep definitely So that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now. Check out our up-to-date rest of the way rankings, along with our positional rankings for Week 7. And then check back Wednesday morning for our third buy-sell-hold report of the season. Of course, if you're a DS Insider, then you'll get each of those delivered to your inbox once they go live each week. 
You can also find us on Twitter. We are at Draft Sharks. Jared is at Smola DS. I am at Shauf DS. That's S C H A U F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shauf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 